It's an age-old question, but what actually makes people happy? Way back in episode 82 of the Yarn podcast, we heard from an extension expert, legendary consultant, Jason Tromph, about this very topic. He quoted research that suggested that being recognised by peers as being at the top of your game, being, for example, in the top 5% of people in your industry, but also being involved in a movement that is greater than yourself, being part of a positive change for something that you're passionate about, both these things apparently make people happy. Well, given these two criteria, Victorian ultrafine will grower Alastair Laid must be a happy man as he is at the cutting edge of industry change with regards to fleece measurement and in turn traceability. He's proven to be a master of his craft over a very long period of time, sticking with the difficult task of growing the finest wool through many challenges and has come out the other side in a very positive position now. Hello and welcome to The Yarn, a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So Alastair has individually tagged and measured his 10,000 head merino flock over many years to reduce his average flock micron from 19.5 to just 15.5 whilst maintaining fleece weight. All paddock run animals on what is a fourth-generational property, Glen Rannick, in the Strathbogie Ranges of Victoria. I sat down with Alistair, who gave a recent history of the property that means so much to him. OK, well, back in the 70s, um, my father was running the property, and we had basically Saxon blood sheep that he'd managed to acquire over the years, basically from Tasmania, and... When we had predominantly native pastures, we were cutting about 18 micron, 18 micron wool of the typical uh, traditional Saxon crimp. They weren't heavy cutters. We were struggling to get three kilos per animal. So in the 70s, the wool prices had a bit of a slide and we weren't making very much with three kilos of 18 micron wool. We started utilising our um, fertiliser history and putting a bit more fertiliser on and sowing improved grass species. Once the quality of our pastures started to improve, um, the sheep were getting much better nutrition and the micron of the Saxon sheep with better nutrition increases fairly substantially. So all of a sudden we were looking at 20 to 21 micron, but they weren't changing their fleece weight. So the extra nutrition was producing a broader diameter fibre, but no more weight. So we decided that we were going to go broke if we kept running Saxons. So then Dad went out and chased around um, the people that were... He, he was looking for productive sheep. So he ended up going to people that, that the following year were winning the commercial flock competitions. So we tried all these sheep that were being run by reasonably progressive farmers in good commercial conditions. But some of the bloodlines and the environments where they came from didn't suit 
that the sheep didn't um, come into this uh, climate very easily. Like we were buying sheep from Manu because they were renowned for being heavy cutters and early matures. But we started getting lots of fleece rot and we also um, found that they were eating a lot more feed. So we had to buy a grain silo and so it, we were getting extra product but it was costing us quite a bit more to do it. So then we got into refi refining our own breeding. And once we started measuring our sheep, we were able to identify that we had some very high producing ultrafine sheep. So we identified them and took them out into a breeding nucleus, which we then multiplied up as quick as we could with the genetic tools that we had available. So you've been an early adopter of technology for a long time and um, now I see you're, you're, you're on AgriWeb, um, you have uh, auto-drafters and uh, EID every animal, um, but you were doing this a long time ago, plus using LaserScan when LaserScan first came out. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I got involved um, with electronic scales when they first came out, so we changed from having the clock face scales um, to electronic scales and all of a sudden we realised how inaccurate the clock face scales were and once we got load, uh, yeah, load cells in the weighing systems and we could put them straight into the computer then our accuracy improved dramatically and also it, we were able to record that information accurately. And then the next step was to get electronic identification because manually reading a tag and entering it and put it beside a weight that the error rate's fairly high, even if you think pretty good with numbers. So the electronic IDs linked directly to the weight with these auto weighers takes all that error out of it. How do we capture uh, fleece weights in shed in a more passive and effective way rather than having to scan uh, every every animal. Is there a way of to possibly well, doing it faster? A couple of the breeding groups I was involved in, we did lots of different trials trying to work this out. One was weighing the animals with the fleece on them and then weighing the animals once we'd taken the fleece off. And with the auto weighers, that would have been easy, but you've got gut fill and a few other things, and there wasn't a good correlation. Oh, so it's too much error in, uh, in faeces and urine and what have you. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's not difficult to organise a, um, a system in a shed where you can identify the fleece to the sheep and weigh the fleece and take a sample and then get that analysed. You can either do the measurements in shed, either using laser scan or OFTA, or you can send it away to a laboratory. And that's something that you did many years ago and tightened up your micron variation very significantly in a short amount of time. Yeah, well, we <coughs> when we originally started testing every sheep, we did micron yield and fleece weight. And we were able to work out a price per fleece, a value per fleece. And the fleece value depended on the fleece weight, the yield and the micron. So we ended up finding that we had some fleeces worth $15 and a 
and some worth $150. And they all cost the same to run. So if we were running short on resources and we wanted to improve the profitability, it was pretty easy. You cut out the bottom 15%. And after doing that for uh, 10 years, we were able to reduce our average micron of the flock from 19.5 to 15.2. And we reduced the range from 14 to 25 microns down to 13 to 16. So we're shearing 10,000 sheep a year and we only have one bale over 16 microns. All the rest are under 16 micron. All from the paddock? And straight from All, the paddock yeah. with, with highly nutritious improved pastures. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's quite an amazing story, but it's come, come with a lot of measurement. Yeah, but it's amazing. You do a little bit each year um, and it, it, with genetics... It's a permanent, um, it, it's something you lock in permanently in, into your system. And we're now getting 1% to 2% improvements in our, the various traits we're selecting for annually. So, you know, over 10 years, that adds up to a fair bit more. Now, being an ultra-fine producer, and before that a super-fine producer to a degree, so, I mean, it, it hasn't been an easy run. It's a, it's a hard product to produce, and it's a specialty product. It hasn't always been rewarded in the marketplace. Um, where do you see... Have you, have you travelled with that journey? Because it hasn't always been easy. No, well, <clears throat> the, the... Most of the, the wool... Um, goes on about a three-year cycle between highs and lows. The ultrafine has probably got a six- to eight-year cycle. So for a few years, when the demand was pretty low for ultrafine, we actually sat on nearly three complete clips of wool. But you had to be <coughs> very quick to act because when the orders came in for this specific wool and there wasn't a lot of people... Um, that, were, that were after this particular sort of wool, you had to have it ready to go basically in 24 hours' notice. So we've got a very good broker who kept his ear to the ground and we were able to pick up when these orders, overseas orders came in and we were able to provide uh, wool that met their specifications within 24 hours. So to that uh, degree, I mean, now that you have uh, very rigorous uh, individual tagging results across 10,000 sheep, it's an incredible effort. Um, Where does that, how do you see the future of marketing your clip, given much talk about uh, blockchain and selling, selling your sort of values and your data along with the physical product? Where is that evolving in your mind? Well... We're sort of working our way up the supply chain. We've built up a very good rapport with the exporters and um, we've changed and modified some of our practices, like we've ceased mulesing and we're going down the um, accreditation for RWS and um, Authentico because the people... The, uh, some of the Europeans are very insistent that we there's certainly minimum criteria before they'll even bid on your wool. 
So we've got this, we've developed this good relationship now with um, three or four major exporters and our wool fits into their buying spectrum and we're getting paid with a, a significant premium for it. But it comes after many years of QA schemes and on-farm schemes that uh, didn't necessarily reward for, for, for best practice or just practice change, I suppose, and recognition of that. Flock care, I suppose, is another one. Do you, do you see this as a, a long-term trend now that there are genuine premiums being paid? Well, I think the premiums are certainly going to drop off once there's more wool that qualifies for it, unfortunately. Um, but what we've got to be... I want to be in a position where we're at the top end of the market and avoiding the discounts. So over the coming years, I think the premium for our product will lessen, but hopefully with a tracing system, we can stimulate demand for our specific clip being driven from the other end back to us. So people... Selling, making and selling garments that are very satisfied with the quality of the wool that we've supplied send their orders back through the exporters that we want this particular clip and that's where I think we'll get rewarded. Well, it would be remiss of me now not to, to mention the role of WoolQ in reducing that supply chain and the opportunities of, uh, of doing that and particularly with traceability. What, um, how then are you approaching your marketing into the future? Are you looking to forward sell? Are you looking to set up an alignment? And what's the role of the auction system for you in, in this? Um, look, we've tried to do forward selling, but with our type of wool, the industry's really... They, <coughs> the, the, the messages we get back, they're more prepared to go to auction um, because... They have a variable order system. They don't have a regular order year in, year out. We, with the strain of sheep we've developed, we can consistently produce a very similar product year in, year out, no matter what the climate conditions. So our micron doesn't vary. Our yield varies very... Uh, there's a very limited variation in our yield. So... We can almost say year in, year out for five years ahead that we're going to produce the same, you know, 32,000 tonnes of certain specifications. Which is uh, surely worth a lot to a processor or a brand that is seeking that quality. Um, Do you feel as though finally the consumer or the retailer and the producer are getting closer together or are they further apart than ever before? Well, I think unfortunately some of the people in the middle of the supply chain historically have taken ownership and carried some of the risk, but they control the market. Whereas I think if we could get a better communication going between the end manufacturer and end consumer back to the growers and the middle people become service providers... It means that we have to probably carry a bit more risk and the end users carry a bit more risk. But the markups further down the line is, is significantly, uh, you know, the, the, I think at retail level quite often there's a 300% markup 
from when it goes from wholesale or garment manufacture into the retail store. So they, you know, as long as they can, there's still a, an interest and a demand for their garments, they can carry a bit more of the risk. But I think as growers, we probably, if we want to retain ownership through the system, we've got to carry a bit of risk, but we need a, bit, a much better reward for doing that. Yes, and I suppose the move, uh, greater move to online selling and less bricks and mortar stores reduces a bit of the risk at that end. But it's interesting you say that because, I mean, I'm thinking back to uh, the Merino Company and the New Zealand Merino Company that had that model of farmer ownership further down the supply chain but delayed payment or incremental payment for your wool clip, um, even if that was a little bit higher than what you'd get at the auction. So it's a case of how much risk are you willing to take further down the line. But look, I, I think if we can have a system where our, as soon as we get our wool tested, it is available online through a system 24-7. So people anywhere in the world, any time of the day or night, can look up this catalogue of wool that's available and, and work out their orders from there. Um, I think that would be a terrific system. So have you had a look at WoolQ? Not really. We, we use... Um, we've been using WoolTrade a bit, but this relationship I've got with the, the exporters is giving us a really good premium at auction. So at the moment, while pr- prices are buoyant, um, auction's the best place to, to capture some of that premium. Uh, yes. So... Um Given all this, how are you feeling about the, the future of wool? I mean, you've, you've been a dedicated grower for a long time. Um, you've got your product right and consistently right. Um, do you feel as though the future is much brighter than it was, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Look, I think that there's some really interesting new products and I think this next-to-skin next awareness, the active wear and some of the the casual garments and the innovation that's gone in developing woolen products is really exciting. So I I think there's a really good future for wool, despite the fact that we've only got a very small proportion of the textile industry. um, I think there's there's certainly some niche areas, and I really think that producing my sort of wool is... It's a niche production system and we're supplying niche markets. And I think there's much more awareness out there of the value of this natural uh, fibre. Uh, is that something that is shared by the next generation? I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're carrying on a great tradition here of uh, the Laid family on this property. Um, do you see um, this wonderful wool production uh, tradition continuing? Oh, look, I think so. I think the... Um, the young, the generation coming along is smart. They, they've got slightly different beliefs and perceptions than we have, um, but I think they're the ones that are going to take us um, along into the future because they're much more aligned with the our potential customers. Indeed. Now I think it would be nice to finish on uh, the story of the stone of the stones. Um, it is a really beautiful story, and be lovely to hear what is your front, what what is near your front gate. Okay, well, <clears throat> um, 
1982, we celebrated the centenary of the original settlers in this area. Um, that's 140 years ago now. But there were six families, uh, basically of Scottish descent, that moved in and selected land in this area. And the monument we put up was a, a, along the lines of a Scottish stone circle. So we got these big uh, granite columns from out in the natural environment and we put them in a circle and each of the six represented one of the original families that came here and interestingly after 140 years four of those six families still have descendants on the original blocks says something for the the resilience of the first uh, families that were here and also the profitability and the versatility of the country here. Um, Alistair, thank you very much for hosting us today and um, taking time out to have a chat to us about uh, what is something a real passion of yours and something you, you do so well. Um, thanks for your time and thanks for having me on. Enjoy talking to you. Alistair Laid from Glen Rannick at Highlands in the southern Strathbogie ranges of Victoria. And keep a lookout for him on woolmark.com as he's set to feature in the popular Spotlight series of on-farm stories that help show to the world the many great wool growers of our industry. And if you have others that you'd like to highlight for the series, please drop us a line through Twitter, Facebook and Instagram for Wool Innovation. So from me, Murray is coming. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Thanks for having a yarn with us.